Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. Pastor Andy continues our series in the book of Acts with a sermon out of Acts chapter 16. We will be hurt by people around us. Sometimes it will be unintentional, and other times they will actively seek to cause us pain. Our reaction is what happens to us when we are hurt. Our response is our choice about how we will move forward. We can react with sorrow and pain, and then choose to respond with resentment, or choose to forgive. To forgive is to hand over the right to judge to Jesus. We cannot begin the journey towards reconciliation without first forgiving. Uh, if you're new or visiting with this, uh, us this morning, welcome. Uh, man, God is doing incredible things in, in, our, in our midst. It is so amazing to watch Jesus move. Uh, from 130 of, you, 130 of you here last Sunday night eating chili and, and uh, making pies and having fun to what God is doing uh, this last weekend in our prayer retreat yesterday and the day before. Uh, I cannot tell you how many miracles are happening in this place. It is, uh, it is nothing less than what we're seeing in the book of Acts. Uh, it is spectacular what Jesus is doing here. We see in Scripture this truth, these truths. Number one, there is always hope beyond our brokenness. The story of scripture is how God reveals himself to broken and dead people, how God makes dead women and men alive again by his spirit. That's what we experience in this church. There is no person here, there's no situation here that God is not and cannot redeem. Amen? Amen. God is working in our lives. And we are a community defined not by our perfection or our performance. We are a community defined by the goodness of God. That all our lives, he's been faithful. Amen? Second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. Every day, moment by moment, breath by breath, we get to trust him. We get to place our lives in his capable hands. And he's so, so good. And so we're learning how to do that together. Uh, That's what we do as the body of Christ. We learn how to trust Jesus together. And then finally, we bring restoration. And you guys are doing that on amazing levels. So join Paul in Guadalupe and go go pray the streets of Guadalupe with Paul and then go provide for them. Uh, We have an opportunity here at this church to do an amazing act of restoration. Um, Denise, I'm going to have you go to the picture of Samuel right now. So uh, this, is, this is Larry in the back, Suzanne on the left, and Samuel on the right. Um, Samuel has Down syndrome. Larry, Larry's a pastor in Washington, although Suzanne and Samuel are here at church. Um, and Samuel's with his dad in Washington right now. Uh, he'll be back here in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, during the pandemic... Samuel, um, this is a kid who makes jewelry, and it's spectacular. This is a kid who worked at a pizza place and is amazing. And during the pandemic in rural Idaho where they were, he started getting encephalitis. That's an infection and a fever in your brain. And the healthcare there was poor. And he lived with that for 15 months. And he lost his ability to talk. And he lost his ability to use the restroom and be independent. 
And now Larry and Suzanne, who love Jesus and they're part of this church, um, they need treatment for Samuel. And the insurance is fighting them on it, but it's like 60 grand per session for Samuel to get his brain and his life back. And Suzanne was at the prayer retreat yesterday and she's sharing about this and we're praying for her. And it was just like, you know what? We got 60 grand. There's people here today, right now, whether it's $4 in your pocket or four grand that you have laying around, I don't care how much money it is, but this little boy, this amazing man, Samuel, he deserves that treatment. And no amount of insurance finagling is gonna stop us from helping this kid. So can we do that together? If you feel called to give, there's an offering box in the back. You can Venmo online. I don't know what it is about human beings, but we always have a special pocket for kids with disabilities. And so if you have a Holy Spirit fund in your life, um, this is a moment to spend that money because this family needs their boy back. So can we say a prayer for him? Lord Jesus, we lift up Samuel to you right now, and we pray for healing upon his brain. God, we pray that the insurance company would finally relent and pay out the claim. And God, if they won't, then Jesus, we will. And so we want, as a body of Christ, to respond and to give generously. And we know that Larry and Suzanne being separated right now and working in different states and being a part of this church and yet trying to help another struggling little church in the state of Washington, they could use our, our help. And so we pray for them, but God, we're also gonna give. And so thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. And thank you for the miracles that you're providing. And we trust you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. So Samuel has a birthday coming up. So the first weekend of December, we are gonna have a rainbow dance party in the fellowship hall. We're gonna have rainbow sherbet. We're gonna have rainbow streamers. We have all these kids in our church who are disabled and we're gonna have the most epic dance party in the world. And if you want to dance with us, you're gonna hear about it, but stop by for 10 minutes and we're gonna dance and you are gonna see more joy than you've ever seen in your entire life. Details are to follow, but I cannot wait for the most epic rainbow dance party that we've ever had. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You see, like we keep on making these choices, y'all. We keep on making these choices because we are disciples who intentionally follow Jesus. We choose every day to put Jesus first and seek him first. We choose every day to give him our hearts to be changed by Jesus. We choose every day to join Jesus in his resurrection work. That's what we do as the body of Christ. And today, if today you just feel weary in your soul and like you don't have any energy to make that choice, then we're with you, arm in arm, and we're making that choice and we'll just sweep you along with us in the momentum. 
And if in today you felt like you were singing and you couldn't sing about the goodness of God because you've just been crushed, we're with you. We'll sing that next to you in your grief. And if today you just are on top of the world because things are going so great, let's go, baby. Let's go. Amen? So would you pray with me? Could we pray together? Okay, Jesus, we love you. This is your time. We bind up everything by the blood of Jesus that's opposed to you in this space. We mute you and cast you out of this place now in Jesus' name. Do you all agree? Not today, devil. Are you ready? Say, let's say that with me. Not today, devil. Oh, we're on it this morning. Let's go. Okay, so I got, I got a question for you. Um, so today we're going to he- read three stories about people getting saved, and they're all different. They're all crazy. They're all beautiful. And just like our stories, our stories of being saved are all different. Um, and at the end of the story, there's this question um, that, that one of the, the jailer of all people uh, and if you know any corrections officers like Kilo, who plays the, who plays the guitar and works at Trader Joe's, he, he was a corrections officer. There's Kilo in the back. We love you, Kilo. Kilo's got stories. But when a, corrections, when a correction officer says, what must I do to be saved, you know that the Holy Spirit is present, okay? It's like a lawyer who comes to church. It's just so rare, right? Um, are there any lawyers here? See, I told you. (laughs) Please. So I, I, I gotta, I, I need your. Well, I'd, I'd like to ask for something. Um, in sermons like these, uh, Christians who've been around the church for a long time, we all think, oh, well, I really hope someone gets saved this morning. But thank God I'm, I'm fine. <clears throat> Listen, your loved one dragged you here because you're in desperate need of redemption, okay? So this sermon is for you. I, I love that God has saved your soul and that you belong to him. And maybe today you're not a Christian. Maybe you're like, oh, man, I, I'm really just here to help, you know, this person not yell at me later in the day. Um, and... And, and if you're not a Christian, that's just fine. I'm glad that you're here. And, and maybe this, this will be the day where you are captivated by Jesus like we all have been. And you, you make a decision today. But for those of you who call yourselves a, a Christ follower, I'm interested in speaking to the part of your heart that still doubts the goodness of God. So can I speak to that part? Yes. Would that be okay? Yes. Okay. So um, we're in Acts chapter 16, and last week we talked about how Paul, he kept on getting closed doors, and he kept on making mistakes because he wasn't talking or listening to Jesus. Finally, he ends up in this small little port city called Troas. Troas is like Long Beach, okay? So chapter 16, verse 11, Paul, um, or Luke writes this. Would you read this with me? From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for... And then the the next day, we went to Neapolis. And from there, we traveled to Philippi, the Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Okay, 
um, let me give you some understanding. Troas is like Long Beach, okay? It's in the upper left-hand side. You can see there, uh, Troas is there. It's right next to the Aegean Sea. You have the word Bithynia on the top where modern-day Turkey is. To the left, you see the port city called Troas, and then um, I won't pronounce that other name uh, next to it, okay? So there's Troas. So they leave... <laughs> Most of you can't read, and that's good. Uh, you're like, what? Uh, so there's Troas. So th they then sell, sail from Troas to Philippi. This is the same distance of traveling by boat from Long Beach to San Luis Obispo. Does that make sense? Okay. Then they show up to Ni Neapolis. Neapolis is literally five miles southeast of San Luis Obispo, which is exactly Pismo Beach. Neapolis, Philippi is inland, just like San Luis Obispo is. Neapolis is right on the coast, just like Pismo. So they land in Pismo, and they travel there to Philippi. If you want to go to a place that is geographically identical to San Luis Obispo, it's Philippi. You look up the weather, it's the same. You look up the climate, it's the same. You look up the on the... Uh, sunset Gardens, you know, like whatever the climate, you know, whatever your, your zone is. What is it? Yeah, Zone 9. We're in Zone 9. Philippi's in Zone 9, okay? I don't know what that means, but there you go. Uh, so Philippi, however, was not the retirement for a location from people escaping the Valley or San Jose or Los Angeles. Philippi was a retirement location for former Roman soldiers and mid-level Roman bureaucrats, okay? So it was a conservative town. It wasn't a large city, but it wasn't, it wasn't small. It's very similar to San Luis Obispo in size and feel. So 13, verse 13, read this with me. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. We expected to find a place of prayer we sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. This is such a random statement. Let me give you some history to it, okay? Why on the Sabbath did they go outside the city gate to a river? Why? Here it is. Um, number one, if there wasn't a synagogue in a town, um, synagogue required 10 men to start it. I thought it was 12. It's not. It's 10. So you have to have 10 guys to start a synagogue. That's a Jewish church. If there's not 10 guys in the synagogue or that can start the synagogue, then the secret code was that you'd go outside the city gates to the nearest water source on the Sabbath, so that'd be Saturday morning, and there you would worship together. So everybody would be milling out on Saturday morning, right? And then that's what they would do, okay? Why? Why, why do you meet? Why does there have to be a secret code? Why, why this? Well, because Jews are, have been always persecuted, but especially during this time, this is about 49 AD. In 47, 48, the emperor Claudius kicked out all of the Jews from Rome. He gave everybody, every Jew in Rome 24 hours to sell their businesses, sell their house, liquidate their assets, and leave. Ready? You got tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. to get the heck out of the Central Coast. Go or die. 
That's what they faced. So what ends up happening is that all these different little towns in the Roman Empire, they felt the same way about Jews. And so they're like, well, if Claudius did it, then we can do it. And if there was a synagogue in Philippi, it had been most likely shut down, and now they were meeting in secret outside the city gates by the river source on the Sabbath morning. Make sense? Jews and Christians were not liked by Romans. They were considered atheists because Romans believed in a lot of gods, and Jews and Christians believed in one. Christians were even worse, right? Caesar wasn't the king. The king above Caesar, the king of kings, was a guy named Jesus. Even worse than that, Christians would go to the city dump, and they would rescue children out of the city dump. Everybody knew that when you wanted to get rid of a baby, you would take, put it to the city dump, and their dogs would feast. So Christians were called dogs, and they were called cannibals because they rescued babies. And people, Romans thought, well, they must be doing the same thing the dogs are. So Christians were, we were hated by the Romans until COVID hit. No, I'm not kidding. Until there was a massive pandemic in Rome and Christians sacrificed their life to care and save the people of Rome and that's when the tide changed. But anyways, under persecution, Jews had a solution to persecution and that is you meet in secret outside the city gates by a river. You picking up what I'm putting down? You picking up understanding now what's going on? Verse 14, let's read. One of those listening was a woman from the city of, and that one, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So I love this. She's from Thyatira. Back to the map. Okay, see where Troas is right there? Go down, there's Thyatira, yes? And what province is it in? What county is it in? Asia. Now, this is what's funny. Last week, Paul was trying to get to Asia, and the Holy Spirit kept on saying, no. The first woman he meets who actually listens to the gospel, she's from the county of Asia. That's funny right there. Jesus got jokes, y'all. That's good. Right? Okay. Uh, uh, what do we know about Lydia? Uh, can you go back to the uh, verse? You'll have to clear the background. I'm sorry, Denise. No, no, that's my fault. So she is a dealer in purple cloth. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me explain this. Um, if you produce purple cloth in the Roman Empire, that means that you got a team of teenage boys and girls who go into the Mediterranean Ocean, they dive down into the shallow waters, and they find a particular type of sea snail. They gather those by the thousands. You smash them on rocks to extract the mm, two milliliters of dye that are in those purple sea snails eventually getting hundreds of gallons of that dye. You refine it, and then you dye clothes, 
And that's how purple cloth is made. It's an incredibly expensive process. It's an incredibly risky process because if the tide is wrong or there's a storm or the ecosystem changes or the snails are overfished or whatever, then you don't got a business anymore. But Lydia has navigated these murky waters of business. We don't know where her husband is. Maybe um, Bob, the sea snail diver, died. I don't know. But Lydia isn't, she, her husband's never mentioned. But anyways, she's, but she's not a producer of, of purple cloth. She's a, she's a dealer, y'all. She's a dealer, okay? Purple cloth is the most expensive commodity in the Roman Empire. Lydia doesn't just run a Bentley dealership. She runs multiple Bentley dealerships. You picking up what I'm putting down? Lydia's rich, rich. But also Lydia was deeply spiritual. She'd been watching Oprah. She realized that there was, she had a soul, right? And she was already worshiping God with a little bit of understanding about who he was, open and seeking God. And I think that Lydia had figured out an important truth about wealth. You don't measure wealth by the amount of things you have, but by what you have that you would not sell for any amount of money. Let me say that again. You don't measure wealth by the amount of things that you have, but by what you have that you would not sell for any amount of money. That's true wealth. For Lydia, the thing that she would never sell, it was God. See, the good news of the gospel is for absolutely everyone. People who are wealthy, those of us who are upper middle class or beyond, we understand something, and that is that stuff doesn't make you happy at all. At all. Uh, And at the same time, wealthy people have zero desire to lose the benefits of that wealth. Poor people are happy to lose their poverty at any moment. Yes? We know that one. But as a wealthy person, to hear the gospel that the king of kings gladly gave up all of his wealth, all of his riches, to enter into our poverty for my sake, for our salvation, so that we might be rich with a wealth that always satisfies that's, a good, not, that's a, a good news that cannot be unheard. You need to understand something about the gospel. Jesus will not give you up for any amount of riches. Or put another way, Jesus gave up all his riches for you. Don't you see? We, the body of Christ, his saved, redeemed, beloved people, we are the riches of God. Isn't that beautiful? I think Lydia understood this. So Lydia's heart is captivated by Jesus. She's not going to sell his love or his salvation for any sum. It's absolutely spectacular. What happens? She hears Paul. Her heart is captivated. She loves her household, all the people that are there with her, her servants, her, her, you know, the driver of the Bentley, right? 
And it's absolutely incredible. So I just want you to understand that Paul goes to Philippi, to San Luis Obispo. He goes outside the city gates. He preaches the gospel. And there is one of the richest women in the state of California. And as Paul preaches the gospel, Kim Kardashian gives her life to Jesus. (laughs) You picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, right, whatever her name is, something Scott, I don't know, Um, right, she gives her life to Jesus, okay? And then something even more wild happens. Verse 15, read this with me. Are you ready? When she and the members of her household were baptized, which is just crazy, Kim Kardashian says, let's do this in the river right now. Paul's like, okay, right? She then invited us to her home. She says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, and she persuaded us. She says, come stay in my villa. They're like, no, it's okay. We have Motel 6 reservations. She's like, no, no, no. Come stay in my villa. It's like, we don't want to be a bother. She's like, I have 90 rooms. Come stay in my villa. Right? There's a lot of room in my house. Okay? I love this. When she and the members of whose household? Not her husband's household. Her household. This is a rich, amazing, powerful woman. I love it. She will become an amazing leader in the church in Philippi. Absolutely spectacular. Um, she says, come with me. So, they, so the Bentley pulls up, and Paul and Luke and everybody get in, and they go into the city center of Philippi, where all the rich people live, and they walk up to the gated villas community, right? And there's the Roman guard, right? And Lydia says, gives the gate code, and there comes Luke and, and Paul and Silas and this rag, all the ragtag you know, uh, believers, and they're living in luxury. That's their entrance to Philippi. Absolutely incredible. I want you to understand something. When you understand the extravagant generosity of Jesus to save you, you will become generous. When you are captivated by how much Jesus has given up of his own inheritance to make you wealthy and rich, so that you would be the winner of the cosmic lottery called salvation. Don't you understand? When we get to heaven, no more crying, no more tears, no more taxes. (laughs) There's no more bills. You don't have to worry about PG&E anymore. There's no, you don't have to haggle with insurance companies. You will be eternally rich, eternally. And that gift is yours And once you grasp this, you'll think to yourself, how could I not be generous towards other people? How could I not be hospitable and allow people into my life to bless them and help them and love him and love them? So can I ask us to say a prayer? Would that be okay? Jesus, would you make our hearts like Lydia's? We are hungry for you. God, would you captivate us with your generosity and by your spirit, turn us into the kind of people whose entire households desire the peace and joy we have. Amen?
There are members of your household that still do not know Jesus. The way that you love them back to life is not by browbeating them. The way that you love them back to life is by loving them back to life. You have to love them and be generous, just like Jesus did with you. It's not easy, and it doesn't happen instantly, but you are more than capable of doing it. You have Jesus with you. Do it with him. The next story of salvation is crazy. Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, they're all staying in Lydia's villa. They wake up. Someone peels their grapes. They give them to them. They think, ah, this is fantastic. Let's go preach the gospel in Philippi, right? So they leave the gated community every morning, and they're going to, they're searching for Jews. Hard to find in Philippi because of the emperor's order, but they're going to the place um, every single week to see if they can find more Jewish people to tell them about the Jewish Messiah named Jesus. Verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. As a little girl, probably nine or 10, she's in bondage two different ways. Number one, by a demon. Number two, by evil men who are using her for their profit. So the little girl walks up to the apostles, and she said, what? Verse 17, read this out loud, loudly. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouted. Wait, wait, now shout it. Are you ready? Here we go. Shout it. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. A demon is saying this? What is happening here? What is going on? Wait, isn't that the truth? It is. How can a demon tell the truth? Ah, but what's the purpose of using that truth? The demon is using very Jewish language that all the Romans' ears would be peaked to. The most high God? Wait a minute, higher than Caesar, who is God? The most high God? That's blasphemy. And they're in Philippi. Look, if, if, if you want to um, uh, go to like a super conservative town in the United States filled with retired military and say, you know what? America stinks. Good luck. <laughs> right? Good luck. Uh, so Jews... We're not very in favor in Philippi in this time, and the demon through this little nine or ten-year-old girl is screaming out, "Hey, here are Jews! Here are Jews! And and they're not just here to like help you; they're condemning you. They're saying you need to be saved." Whoo! Uh, let me know how that goes if you meet a bunch of Navy SEALs down in Coronado and San Diego, and you know, I know you save people a living, but I'm here to tell you. You're actually deeply and profoundly lost, and you need to be saved. Let me, let me know how that goes when, when, when you say that. And it doesn't just happen once, either. Every time the boys leave the villa, this happens. Verse 18, she kept this up for many days. 
So just put yourself in their position, right? Every time they walk out, little girl screams. These are the servants of the Most High God. They're telling you how to be saved. And then people start noticing, and people start noticing. And the gossip mill starts rumoring, and they start noticing. And they're starting to get nervous. They're starting to get irritated, right? Not because of what she's saying is true, but because what she's saying is preventing them. It's putting them in danger. Okay, let's read this together. Finally, Paul, so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. I love this. Paul gets annoyed. He handles the situation. He casts the spirit out, and now she's free. Salvation has come to this little girl. I have a friend who was sharing about Jesus to a young woman, and he asked to read this passage. And she looked at him and said, uh, you want me to read this passage of Scripture? And he goes, yeah, read this passage of Scripture. She says, I don't know. The words are blank on this Bible. I have no idea, like, what kind of crazy Bible is this? There's literally no printed words on the, on the page. And so he said, well, Jesus, would you please help her see the words? And then she blinked, and she goes, oh, that was odd. Okay. And so when she read the passage, she couldn't say the name Jesus. And so my friend read, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And literally, right then and there, she was delivered from a demon, and she could read the passage and know and experience God's love. What's getting in the way of you knowing Jesus? You ever feel condemned or harassed by a voice in your own head? Do you ever find like it's really, really hard to pray? Do you ever feel distracted and apathetic during worship like you just need to leave? Do you ever feel like it's almost impossible to find peace? Can I pray for us? This is a moment where I've asked you guys, uh, our leaders beforehand, to pray for protection. This is the moment. Can I pray for us right now? Any demon opposed to Jesus that's harassing my brothers and sisters right now, I bind in the name of Jesus, and I command you to leave my friends now in Jesus' name and go to Jesus to be judged. Do you guys agree? Say amen. Amen. And in its place, Lord Jesus, I pray for wholeness and life and joy and peace. Do you guys agree? Ooh, we're doing some work today, guys. Here we go. Fantastic. But this girl delivered from a demon, she's not completely free because she's in bondage two times. Verse 19, read with me. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. I love what Luke says here. He says, um, the spirit left her. And then the next sentence is, when the owners realized that their ability to make money left them, that's when they got mad. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates. Now, magistrates are politicians, okay? And now they're going to bring a charge against our boys. And what's the charge going to be? They commanded the demon to leave, and it left. I know. We're frauds. We really don't know how to predict the future. But that's what happened. Is that what their charge is going to be? No. What's their first charge? Next, next slide. And they said, these men are? That's the first charge. 
That's the first charge. Second charge. And they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice, namely to declare that Jesus is the king above all kings and the name above all names. Verse 22, this is one of the reasons why Paul was so annoyed. It's because day after day, the crowd was getting more irritated. And so now the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. <gasps> There's Jews here? We got to get them out. And the magistrates, that's the politicians, ordered the police to strip them and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely, that's a technical term. Flogging is you are stripped naked, your hands are stripped over your head, they're tied to a pole, a flexible stick about the size of your thumb is then used to beat you. The stick welts your skin, it's incredibly painful. If you're over the age of 60, you might have been hit with a switch when you were a kid. If you're under 40, you have no idea what that means, right? Back when capital punishment was fine for children, uh, you'd, be, you'd be hit with a switch, which is just like a real flexible, and they sting, man. So the punishment wasn't just hitting with a, like a little twig. It was a, a flexible rod the size of a round of your thumb, and that rod would bend and smack and welt the skin and bruise the muscles, and after a while, it would break all of your ribs and tear your flesh and destroy your muscle. If you're flogged, which is a technical term, you're not walking or doing anything for a month or two. You're not standing. You're certainly not sitting or laying down on your back. Your back is destroyed. From the back of your knees to the top of your neck, you are wrecked. Verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Let's find out what the jailer does with that command. Verse 24, read with me. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You understand what that means? He doesn't just put them in the drunk tank. He puts them in the inner cell, which is more secure. They're not getting out. But what he does next is an act of cruelty. He puts their feet in a stock so that they have to sit on their backside, which has just been destroyed. And if your feet are pinned in stocks, it's not like you can lay on your side. So you have to prop your, yourself up off the ground or sit in absolute agony, and the jailer did this just to be cruel. So let me ask you a question. When someone hurts you, what's your reaction? And then, what's your response? We react with anger, sadness, grief, disbelief. Sometimes we get big when someone hurts us. Sometimes we get real small. Our reaction is what happens immediately in us when we are hurt. Our response is our choice about how we move forward. 
I can tell you um, that my reaction to when I get hurt is first to deny that I'm hurt. I'm fine. That didn't hurt. No problem. My mom called me up the other week, and she said, by the way, Andy, I had a therapy session, and I realized that, um, uh, that when I was pregnant with you, uh, your dad uh, was furious, wanted me to have an abortion to kill you. Um, and when I said no, he then beat me and starved me and abused me for the next eight months, hoping that I would have, be forced to have a miscarriage with you. That's what she said to me over the phone. And it was a beautiful moment of connection with my mom. Um, and my response in telling that story to my friends was, can you believe that? Do you want cream in your coffee? Uh, moving on, you know? No big deal. My dad's dead. It's not a big deal, whatever. So my first response was to deny that wound, okay? Now, if I deny that I'm hurt, then that's my reaction. Then what's my response? If I don't have the ability to actually feel those feelings and I just shove them down, every single hurt that you've shoved down in your heart will become a resentment. It is not an option. That's how it works. If you deny that you are hurt, that will become a resentment. It will become poison bitterness to your soul. And if you deny that you have that, guess what? You will be an angry, irritable person, and you'll say, I'm fine, all the time. You, if you're getting elbowed right now, pay attention. Jesus is teaching me right now how to actually feel, and if I feel, then I can forgive. Does that make sense? Jesus always honors the forgiveness work, always. So what's Paul and Silas's response to their undressed treatment? Number one, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were? This is amazing. Verse 26, read with me. Suddenly, such a violent earthquake. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. The whole thing is shaking. Everybody's freaking out. We're going to die. We're going to die. Actually, it's an angel. Why? Because the only thing that's broken is locks on cell doors and manacles. What? What would you do? Let's get out of here. Let's go. Right? Verse 27. The jailer, being an independent contractor by the Roman government to house and contain prisoners, knowing full well that if a prisoner escapes, he suffers their punishment, woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, read with me, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Better he dies than all of his family dies with him. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. What? (laughs) This little voice coming from a cell, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Does anybody here have an argument that that would convince convicted felons to stay in a prison 
in which the doors were opened and there were no guards present. No. No one's got that argument. No one. Except this one. That if those in prison were so captivated by the Holy Spirit, if they were so enamored with the richness of God's presence, that they would not sell God's presence for anything. They would rather stay in prison and be with Jesus and his spirit than leave and not have him. The prisoners experienced the wealth of God's presence. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? The jailer thinks he has to do something because he should have died, and now all the prisoners are there, which means that he doesn't have to kill himself or his entire family because the Roman guards aren't going to punish him. So he's like, I've already been saved from death and punishment. Oh my gosh, what do I have to do? And they replied, verse 31, read with me, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. This is incredible. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his household. And at that, read with me, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. See, when you get to know the mercy of God that you should have died, you should be in hell for all eternity. But the mercy of God is this, that Jesus Christ has taken the punishment you have earned. And by his blood, you are now forgiven nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why you're forgiven. When you understand that, your anger and your bitterness will melt away. And you'll be the kind of person that binds up other people's wounds, even the ones that you've been cruel to. And then everyone gets baptized. Everyone gets baptized. Verse 34, I love this. Then the jailer brought felons into his house and set a meal before them. Read with me. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. We see three people get saved today. Kim Kardashian. (laughs) And the richest woman in California you would never think would be saved. But the Spirit of God can do that. You would never think that the Spirit of God could save a little girl, not only in bondage from demonic problems, but in bondage from evil, cruel men. But God saves her and frees her. And third, you would never, ever think that some grizzled corrections officer who's mean and apathetic and hard-hearted would ever be saved. But he is. 
Your life is defined by the mercy of God, and there's no part of your heart that cannot be redeemed and healed and renewed. During the Spanish-American War, this lady named Clara Barton was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. And one day, this guy with his big teeth comes up. That's Teddy Roosevelt. He was a colonel at the time. He came to her, and he wanted to buy food for his sick and wounded Rough Riders. Can I buy food and bandages? And Clara Barton said, no. And Teddy Roosevelt said, these guys are sick. I have money. Just let me buy them. And she said, no. And Teddy Roosevelt said, why won't you let me buy the supplies? And she said to him, Colonel, just ask for it. And a smile broke over Roosevelt's face. And now he understood that nothing was for sale at the Red Cross. All he had to do was simply ask, and it would be given to him. What must you do to be saved? Ask, believe the forgiveness and love and mercy of Jesus cannot be purchased by your efforts, but it is freely given. So would you be willing to ask with me? Yes. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you save my heart? Forgive my sins. Have mercy on me. Fill me with your spirit. Redeem and renew my heart. I trust you, Jesus, to forgive me. I trust you, Jesus, to save me. I trust you, Jesus, to transform me. I can't do it, any of it, on my own. And all God's people said, Listen, if, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time today, I, w- I, want you, I want to talk to you. I want to pour out resources and love for you. And if you've prayed that prayer in a different part of your heart today, maybe for the first time, then can I bless that? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's beloved friends said, Guys, we have amazing food for you. God bless you. If you want prayer, come forward. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.